Welcome to the Drawing to Scale podcast. I'm your host, Pablo Cortez. Uh, Anna won't be joining us today. I think she got called into an emergency meeting at work, um, so she won't be here. But today we have uh, Magdalena Aravena. Um, she is a landscape architect and owner of Siembra Studio. She is also actively engaged with ASLA as past president of the Illinois chapter and recently received the ASLA Emerging Professional Award. Um, as a first-generation Chilean, she is a devoted advocate for attracting more diverse practitioners into the field. Magdalena, thank you for joining us. How are you? Thank you. I am good and tired and things are looking up, so I think I think good overall. Yeah, you, you spent the day teaching, right? Spent the day teaching. Also doing some work, which I don't normally do while I'm teaching, uh, but they were working, so then I figured out, I'd sort of take my uh, my iPad out and start sketching, which is always kind of fun. They, uh, you know, kind of look over and they see me drawing, so I think that kind of helps. Are you, are you teaching landscape students? Is it landscape architecture? Yeah, it's landscape architecture. Right now I'm teaching intro to landscape architecture, so it's freshmen. Uh, last semester, I taught uh, intro to product design as well, uh, so that uh, was a little different. This environmental program, environmental design program that I am teaching in, um, provides students a path into architecture, product design, planning, and landscape architecture. So the first couple of years, I take a studio in each of the four. I do want to start off with with talking about your work, though. You um, maybe you can kind of talk a little bit about Siembra and how that came to be, and how you it's essentially your design business. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe talk a little bit about how you started, why you started, and where you plan on heading with the business. Yeah, it's been. I guess now I can't say it's been a wild year because it's not twenty twenty one anymore. I left uh, a firm, a multidisciplinary firm in Chicago. I I lived in Chicago for. Uh, the last four years, so since 2017, and I practiced there in really a, a sort of a range of firms um, and really enjoyed the city and I loved the work that I was getting to do, you know, really kind of um, a wide range, but I wasn't really getting fulfilled with the type of work that I wanted to do, which was community engagement more community-centered uh, work. Basically wanted to see what else might be out there. And I actually considered, you know, maybe I'll join a nonprofit. Maybe I'll do some municipal work. You know, I really wasn't sure. Uh, but when I left Chicago, because it was still, you know, kind of COVID times, I went home to stay with family for a uh, a few months and I was so tired I was so burnt out and I didn't realize how burnt out I was until I stopped moving (laughs) and so I stopped working and so I took ended up taking about a two and a half month break from just work generally and just kind of focused on um, I, I traveled to a few places you know domestically sort of within the US visited some friends, had some really great conversations with people uh, that I, you know, really, that really get me and that know me. And I honestly was almost set on leaving the industry. 
um, or at least leaving design because of how burnt out I was and because I just felt like I hadn't really been able to find the right spot for me and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And then in one of my visits to Denver, which was the place that I was considering moving to, which I did eventually end up moving to, I uh, met up with someone that I had met on Instagram who we had uh, mutual friends uh, through a Slay, and she invited me to teach at CU Boulder, which is where she teaches because they needed an extra faculty for their summer course. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, it's some money. I haven't made money in a few months. Uh, I, I like some of that, and it was a freshman course, so I felt like I was prepared enough to do it. And it was online, so I could do it from home, which is where I was staying. And then I realized while I was teaching and had to like reintroduce landscape architecture or introduce landscape architecture to these freshmen and sort of talk through process and talk about my own practice and all this stuff. I was like, well, I do actually really like this. I do really like design. I like being a landscape architect. I fought so hard to get licensed and... And so that was kind of it. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this on my own. Like I'm not, I don't, in that, in those times. And I think still now thinking about joining another firm or having someone else sort of uh, direct what kinds of projects or anything like that really kind of almost like gave me hives. Like I was just feeling allergic to it. And so I was like, if I'm if I'm gonna go back to design, it's gotta be on my own. And so that's how Sue Lucy and I was born. The name actually comes from um, a webinar that I did for um, was it LAF? I don't remember who it was for, but LAF was there, and um, we one of the other panelists was. Um, working currently at a nonprofit in uh, Puerto Rico called um, Proyecto Siembra. And I just thought it was such a cool name and I loved the work that they were doing there. And I think that just kind of stuck with me. And just because in Spanish, siembra means to sow seeds. And I felt like it was a really beautiful way to not only describe what we do literally, right? Because we literally, you know, tell people where to plant uh, trees and plan where, where uh, you know, where we want more vegetation. But figuratively, I was thinking about it, you know, sort of being able to sow seeds of beauty and optimism and a richer life with the work that I was doing. That and your own, and your own career too, like you're, and my you're own career, yeah. your own career, yeah, which is great. Um, if I can go back a little bit, you talked about sort of the the burnout um, with the working with the, with the, uh, a firm. Um, can you maybe kind of expand a little bit on that and what you mean and what what led to that burnout and you know maybe what um, uh, how, what made you realize that you were in that state of burnout. I think there's a lot of people right now that are going through that, right? Yeah. Especially um, with uh, with employers. Um, yeah, if you could kind of talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, yes, there's, there's so many people going through it right now. And it's so, it's so interesting because 
I don't know when I started doing this, but I, it was a few years back. I know, uh, you know, I, I have a few followers on Instagram, uh, and, uh, I decided that I was going to stop sort of avoiding those taboo topics. And I think burnout and struggling with mental health and, you know, talking about your sort of negative experiences were always sort of like taboo within the industry and generally. And I started talking freely about them. And when I mentioned, you know, either a conversation or, you know, when I actually, I, I also mentioned it when I, would, I got, received my award for emerging professional uh, this past year in Nashville, when I, whenever I say it, everyone's like, oh my gosh, like, thanks for saying it because no one's really talking about it. And the people that need to hear it don't hear it often enough. And I think, uh, I don't know that I can pinpoint one thing that led to the burnout. Obviously, it's a lot of things. I uh, have worked really hard in my service to ASLA. And that doesn't necessarily lead to burnout, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work that's like on top of what I do during my workday. You know, when I was, especially when I was working um, for a firm, really any firm, I was always doing that on top of the work that I was doing because I was always really paranoid that, you know, people would think I was lazy and that I was like trying to substitute ASLA work for real work, you know, or design work, uh, which we call real work, um, which we know it's not all of the work, right? There's so much other work that goes into it. But um, because of that, I uh, always did that like on my off periods as much as I could, right? Or I would work after like a three hour board meeting call, then I would work some more, right? Because I wanted to make sure that I was being productive and getting my work done. And because I thoroughly enjoyed maybe, you know, even if I wasn't enjoying the particular project I was working on, I always enjoyed the people I was working with and always felt sort of this responsibility to not only do the best that I could, but to not burden them with more work or not, you know, sort of be the person that was not performing as well. Uh, and I think I think a lot of that obviously comes from growing up in an immigrant household. I think just because of the sacrifices my parents have made and just because that's just how we, how we grew up, right? Like homework was only the beginning of homework, right? There was always the practice that you had to do on top of the homework in order to make sure you got the good grades and all of that stuff. So that's sort of how I always approach work. Uh, and so, you know, my daily work was sort of the homework and everything else was on top of it. And so I think after, you know, working in a very large multidisciplinary firm, in my experience, is more work (laughs) Um, because you're trying to fit into a really large system of people and you're trying to stand out and you're trying to get the better projects and you're trying to also like learn new software because they're using you know the revits and they're using uh enscape and they're using rhino and they're they have a drone person and all of these things right and so it's sort of 
way more than just sort of working at a small firm that only has AutoCAD and maybe we do SketchUp, right? And maybe we do InDesign. Uh, and so it's a lot of work. And a lot of the times, and this wasn't, you know, just in the last firm I was working at, but every firm, you're working salary, which means a lot of the time you're working more than 40 hours a week. And it wasn't all the time, but when a deadline comes and the deadline was maybe set not with the right expectations, then that means you have to work overnight to get something done that probably should have taken a week, but is now having to take a night, right? And so I started noticing sort of at the beginning of the year in 2021, that it was more and more of that. It was more and more of like, oh, it's, you know, it's 2 a.m. And my mom would call because she's on the Pacific Coast. And, you know, she stays up late. <laughs> and she'd be like, oh, what are you doing? And be like, oh, I'm working. She was like, why are you working? Like, it's 2 a.m. And you're still working. And I'm like, well, I have to get this done. Like, otherwise, who's going to do it? And she's like, but you don't have to. Like, just go to go to bed and like go to sleep and you get it done tomorrow. And it's like, well, that's not really how it works because someone has to get it done and that someone is me. And I can't just show up to the next day and not have it done. And to her mind, right? Not in the design field. Like that was like wild idea that I would, that I would like not sleep in order to get a paper product, right? This is not even like, this is not even like a building or like being out on the field, right? This is literally a paper product that someone's going to review anyways, that is not life or death, right? Cause I'm not a doctor or whatever, that that I would be not sleeping to get that done because a manager needed to see it the next day. And so in that moment of her like seeing, seeing me through her eyes, I was like, oh shit, that's not right. <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, that's pretty crazy that you're, you know, there, there are companies that, you know, they don't outright tell you that's how it's going to be, but they secretly expect it, right? I've worked at both kinds of companies where there, there was that expectation that you were going to be doing minimum 45, 50 hours a week, even though your salary and your arrangement was 40 hours, right? That's just the way they did things. Um, and then there was other companies that I worked for where they said, hey, you get here at eight, you leave at five. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I honestly, personally, I've never been eight to five, mostly because I never get there at eight because I'm a late riser because I go to bed at 2 a.m., right? So I roll in at 9.30. Right. But that means I'm either staying until I have a meeting for ASLA and then working from like eight to two. Right. Or uh, I'm leaving at 730 p.m. Right. So it, it it just is like it's one of those things then where it's like, oh, well, you're being lazy because you're only coming in at 930. And it's like, well, you're not seeing all the other things I'm doing on top of the 60, 50 plus hour weeks I have for quote unquote work, I have all of these other things I'm doing. And just because I'm doing all of these other things with my own personal time does not mean, right, that I'm not also getting my work done. Uh, are you seeing more of the, because um, I know I, I had this when I first started out, is there's there's the work right time for like your own, for for me, the, the business part of it. Um, 
and then there's everything else, right? So it kind of now now I was able to balance everything out. So if stuff needed to get done in the morning, I can get that done, and then work a couple hours, then you know, make dinner or whatever, and then you know, do another couple hours at night if I had to, um, that sort of thing. Where the where the the work is sort of mixed in with your day to day routine, right? Where you're still getting stuff taken care of, you're not sitting at the desk for eight hours a day or plus, right? Just doing the the work. Um, I know I would imagine it's like the same for you a little bit. I know where you get to balance stuff out, um, which I mean, I a little, maybe it's a little different because now you also got the teaching thrown thrown in the mix, right? Yeah, I've got the teaching, which is thankfully it's only three days a week. It's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and so that gives me a little bit of routine, which I do need a little bit of routine, right? I think we all do, but for the most part, I'm you know, and this is just this is likely just like in the beginning of it, right? I'm still a little chaotic in terms of like when I get things done during the day because I have still not fully sort of filled what would be a normal 40 hour week with like design work. And so it's a little bit different because it's like you're saying it. And when you, when you own your own firm and when you're doing your own accounting, when you're doing your own reaching out to people, when you're doing your own you know, planning, when you're doing your own marketing, all of those things have to happen at a certain point. And I, I'm, I'm not great, I've obviously realized, at just sitting at my desk for eight hours. And so if I'm sitting and like getting, you know, in between making dinner and something else, like I'll do social media at that point, right? Like my own social media. Um, accounting, like I'll just do whenever I need to do it. And I probably should get to a point where like I'm doing it at regular periods. So it's all like a learning curve for sure. There's so many things that, you know, we don't see just in practice uh, of what goes into building a firm and so many things that we just aren't not not aware of. I think I'm I was pretty aware of all the sort of things that needed to happen. But I think of like the amount of work that it takes to get it done, right? The amount of work that it takes to like get content for social media for a firm rather than like my own sort of brand is totally different because now I'm seeing it from the eyes of like, well, I need this to appeal to clients and I need it to appeal to the community and I need it to appeal, you know, to per a certain, to potential collaborators. And so there's so much more curation that needs to go on that it's not, it's not linear at all, right? So my schedule does not look linear at all. But having school during Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then I know that like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, if I am teaching only one class, I can work during the other half of the day. And then Tuesday and Thursday, I'm working on actual design work. So it's a little bit of a schedule, but it's still sort of free-flowing enough that it's actually, it's been really nice. And, you know, I'm not going to lie and tell you, like, it's all roses, but because it's, it's hard when you're mostly just relying on a teaching salary and some design work that comes in. Um, but it's been so fulfilling to get to do the work that I want to do and to get to work with the people that I want to work with and to get to control 
my own time. That's big, right? That's a big, it's a big thing to be able to do that. Um, well, uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about your work with ASLA. Um, maybe some of the ways that you're, um, because you're past president of the chapter, right, of Illinois. Um, and then, so are you still involved with ASLA? You're still, it looks like there's still some kind of connection to the ASLA. Um, can you talk about maybe some ways that you're able to advocate for a more diverse profession? Yeah, I, yeah, I love, I love ASLA. ASLA. It's given me, it's given me a lot. Honestly, it's given me every job that I've had. It's given me connections to all of the mentors that I have now, which is like the amount of people that I can text or email or call like any day of the week with a question is honestly beyond me. Like I don't even know how I know so many people and have like a good relationship with all of these established professionals because of the leadership and volunteer roles that I've held at ASLA. And so, you know, I've, I've been sort of advised to cut back on the t- types of things that I do that aren't business related, right? They're like, oh, just focus on this. And, um, but that's my one sort of thing that I just, I can't, right? Um, because it's given so much back to me that I want to give back. And so one of the things that I recently actually just got almost, um, we're almost done with it, is um, I served on the advisory committee for the new campaign that ASLA uh, is coming out with to help women of color get through licensure, right? And so the advisory committee was trying to figure out you know, the eligibility for it, what were we going to require for people, how are we going to help people, how are we going to distribute resources, the mentorship program part of it, and all of this stuff. So it was really, uh, really exciting to be able to be a part of that as a woman of color who got licensed and saw how hard it was uh, to then be able to give back in this way has been really meaningful. And I... So I've been, I have stepped back a little bit, but I've made sure then that the things that I do participate in and that I do say yes to are things that are going to be moving things forward. So I'm a little bit more intentional about the things that I say yes and the things that I just don't, just can't do. Yeah, I think uh, maybe that kind of leads into this, like with your um, receiving the Emerging Professional Award. Uh, which was recently, right? This was in the past, at the past ASLE event, um, 2021. Um, how does that award sort of inform you um, and your future career, kind of what you're doing moving forward, right? Um, I think that I think the the the, the um, setting up the women of color licensure. Um, what, what was the name? Of, what were you calling it? The uh, oh man, I don't remember what the <laughs> official title for it. What we, we just came up with, it. but it's the women of <laughs> women of color licensure program. <laughs> yeah, program. There you go. That's the one. Um, yeah. So I don't know if there's anything else that, that you think uh, your sort of that that award sort of informs and and how that would help you moving forward uh, in your career. First of all, it was an incredible honor to receive it. I, which I guess is why they call them honors. <laughs> um, but I those those awards are given out. And selected anonymously so there's like a a group of people that decide okay we want to 
submit this person as a nominee for this specific award and these people that I know and you know have worked with or am really good friends with put together this beautiful package for me to tell the board of trustees why they thought I would be a good um, person to recognize for this award and honestly just reading the package was enough like just getting to see what these amazing professionals thought of the work that I do and have been doing with ASLA and with my practice, just getting to see that I think was enough. But then getting them to, you know, accept the award and I was, I was able to give a, you know, it was like a two to three minute sort of speech to accept it, which was great. And I think the great thing about it was that I was in a room full of very established professionals and who are firm leaders or, you know, ASLA presidents and past presidents and, you know, all of these people. And so I wanted to be really honest about obviously being super thankful for the award, but also being really honest about the fact that, like, I don't think I'm an exceptional professional, right? Like, I work really hard and I have put a lot into service, but there's so many other professionals that are emerging that also deserve this award. And they're, you know, they're not being thanked enough, whether it's at their firms or through their chapters or whatever. There's just so much emerging professionals today, especially emerging professionals of color are so, they're missing mentorship, they're missing uh, recognition, they're missing that extra uh, understanding that marginalized communities need, especially right now through COVID, because our communities, right, the black community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, like, are being hit so hard by the things that are happening. That's not to say that, like, white communities aren't, right? But marginalized communities are already struggling and we're already struggling with the Trump administration. And then on top of that, you put on a pandemic, right? And then on top of that, you put in, there's a housing crisis and an economic crisis and people can't go to work. And the people who are going to work that are in the service industry are getting sick and then they're dying. It's like all of these things. And on top of that, they have to come to work with full expectations that everything's going to be done and that everything's going to be done with a smile on their face. And so to me, that was an opportunity. And it wasn't like I, it was like a super political speech or anything, but I wanted to make sure because I know that so many in that room know me because of the service that I've done, because I've been a president, I've been in the board of trustees room, because they know my face and they know who I am and they think that I'm this like, you know, like, oh, you know, she's great and she loves landscape architecture and nothing bad has ever happened. I wanted them to know that like I almost left and because it can be really toxic in a lot of workplaces and because I have seen racism and I have seen misogyny and we need more people to like step up and like actually do something to help the emerging professionals 
and the marginalized communities. And so I took that as an opportunity to do that. And it was so well received that I think it just gave me validation for what I'm doing and for how I'm doing things. Very cool. I think maybe this kind of leads into, and maybe we already answered this, but uh, do you have any ideas of how uh, emerging professionals now can make themselves more visible and more actively engaged in the profession, right? Whether it's at work or, or beyond. Do you have anything, any ideas how that would work or how that would um, help um, people that are in the profession starting out? Yeah, I think, you know, speaking from experience, I think saying yes to opportunities to volunteer at the chapter level, I think is really important. I, I know a lot of people and hopefully now, you know, I'll, I'll do a little side note. I think hopefully now with Tori Carter, Connie, as CEO, and seeing all of the changes that we're seeing and that he is making, hopefully this is a little bit different and things have started shifting sort of in the right direction. But I know that, you know, before Tori, and I think still to a certain degree now, uh, there's, there's some people that are reticent to join their chapters in service or to like go to events or volunteer for a position because they think, oh, well, you know, I don't like the way that they're doing things or they're not going to accept me or whatever it might be. And I think the first step is just getting in there, right? Because if you don't volunteer, if you don't serve on local or national committees, then things don't change, right? There was a whole um, adapt ASLA movement a couple of years ago where, you know, there was a bunch of students, a lot of students who wrote to ASLA about their sort of discontent with how ASLA was running things. And I wholeheartedly agreed with everything. I mean, I think most people who are still members agreed with that movement. And I think adding to that, what sort of bothered me a little bit was the people that I saw that some of the people that I saw that were joining in on that call for change aren't volunteers and they're not serving and they're not trying to get in and to change things at the ground level. And if you're not doing that, then I don't know that you have the full right to have a super formed opinion about a membership organization, right? Because it's a membership organization, which means members say what the priorities are, members get to say what they want happen with their membership dues, all of the things, like it's all set by members, right? There's staff and there's board of trustees and the board of trustees are all members who sign off on things, right? But they're all members. And so unless we have younger people who have those opinions or, you know, really passionate people who want to drive change in the organization, then it's never, it's never going to change. And so I think volunteering for service is really important. I think not only for ASLA, but for other organizations, local organizations is just getting in there and volunteering. And then I think also is, you know, elevating other voices to do the same. So telling telling your classmates, like, let's do it together because it's easier when you're doing it sort of as a group. And, um, you know, I think it all really kind of starts with that. And then, you know, once you sort of 
gotten a feel for what ASLA is and how you might be able to change, it's, you know, putting in a proposal for a session at ASLA. It's crazy to me how many people don't know that if you if you get a, a session, so like if you submit for a proposal, you submit a proposal for a conference education session to speak, you get a free registration. You get a free, like, here, go to the conference, which is a lot of money. Like, they're giving you free money. And it's not free. Obviously, you're doing a session. But they're they're inviting you in to this national conference of, like, 6,000 people where you can go network and go listen to other professionals talk about all sorts of things. And you're getting in for free because you volunteered your time to speak. You know, like, it's money that, like, I currently, as a you know, fledgling of a firm owner don't have, which is why I'm submitting multiple er, conference sessions because I know I want to go. Cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's uh, that's very good advice for someone that doesn't, isn't aware of that. Right. Like, you know, I, I don't know if I knew the full extent of being able to speak at one of these conferences. So you just got to ask, right? You just got to ask. Exactly. (laughs) You just got to ask. And, and I started speaking like right out of, school like right after graduating um because i found the right group of people and i was like hey i have this thought and i was about um emerging voices and it was because it was right after the elections in 2016 and i was like i want to talk about you know we were all talking about diversity we were talking about why emerging or why why diversity is important so let's talk about it at a session and we got it and i i got to go for free and i don't I don't think I've paid for any conference, honestly, since I graduated. I think maybe I paid for one. Well, cool. Um, is there, what are your, uh, are you, you going to be continuing to teach? Is that in your foreseeable future? Yeah. So I, so now I've been teaching. So since last summer and I've taught, I taught three courses or two courses in the summer. I taught three courses this last semester and I'm teaching three again this semester and I really enjoy it. I enjoy the aspect of getting to think about design in a different way, which I haven't done since I was a student, obviously. And, you know, kind of like being able to soak up their energy a little bit has been really nice. I think that like going forward, I will probably pare it back a little bit and like maybe only do one a semester or two and split them up between uh, sort of the two quarters that they have so that I can stay in it and still get the same from it, but be able to focus a little bit more on the design work, which I hope is going to start flowing in a little bit quicker this year. Yeah, I would imagine that the teaching takes up, you know, it's not just the time you're there, there's time outside of it, right, that you're developing for classes and, and kind of reviewing stuff. Um, cool. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's good to hear. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you again for, for joining me on the podcast. Um, I know you're obviously very busy. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just, I mean, just want to say uh, good luck with everything. And uh, thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's super fun. Hopefully, you know, people can hear some words in what I've said today that, can either like spark an idea or, you know, get them to volunteer or, you know, if someone's worked out, honestly, just reach out, reach out to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. 
I think, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll include links to your Instagram and any awesome. other ways of contacting you if, uh, in the, in the show notes. Um, cool. Okay. Magdalena, thank you. Thanks again. Thank you.